Good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and uh, get started for our Sunday school hour. Now, I do have an outline uh, for this uh, study. It's in the back. Uh, if you haven't gotten one, uh, it's out there. Uh, we'll stick to the outline. Uh, we've been in the, uh, we started a series on the shadows and types of Christ. Uh, Keith started that series for us. He did the introduction uh, last Sunday. Um, and he also taught as how Adam uh, prefigured Christ in his role. Uh, there are various Old Testament uh, characters, biblical characters, that uh, prefigured Christ, were a type of Christ. Uh, one example is Moses. Uh, he prefigured Christ as the lawgiver and the mediator between God and the people of Israel. Uh, Joseph is another uh, character who uh, prefigured Christ in, uh, in his humiliation and by his rejection, uh, his rejection by his own uh, people and how, he how God ultimately exalted Joseph to the position of ruler and preserver of the lives of many. Before we uh, study the, the character uh, we're going to be looking at, David, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we'll look at certain passages that will be a springboard for us uh, as we examine the life of David. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us. Thank you for your word, that we have this privilege of studying your word together. I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And uh, not only to receive it, but to obey it and to live it out in our lives. Uh, as your witnesses in this world. Bless our time. May you help us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first passage we will look at is Matthew chapter 2. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 1 through 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means uh, least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The next passage we will look at is uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33. Luke 1, 30 to 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb a son and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give 
to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be no end. The last passage is from Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. So these passages will be a springboard for us uh, as we go back in time to examine the life of David. So in our time this morning, we will see how David prefigured Christ in, in three main ways. Uh, and if you follow in your outline, the first way in which David prefigured Christ was the role of a shepherd. The second being the role of a prophet. And the third being the role of a king. Um, the way we will progress in our study is we'll first examine how David was a type of Christ in each of those specific roles and then we'll turn our attention uh, to, to see how our Lord Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment, the greater reality of what David prefigured. So let's look at the first role in which David was a type of Christ, shepherd. So by the time we encounter David in 1 Samuel, God has rejected Saul as being king over Israel. So uh, God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. Uh, God, uh, Jesse go, rather, uh, Samuel goes through the uh, older sons of Samuel only to see that God had rejected them. So Samuel turns to Jesse and asks him, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So the first thing that we learn about David is that he is a shepherd. Now shepherding had been an integral part of the rich history and culture of Israel, dating back to the time of the patriarchs. Ra is the Hebrew word that is used for shepherd, and it means to tend, to graze, but it also means to feed and to keep. So the word Ra conveys the idea of, of providing care, provision, and protection. Uh, so the shepherd, he cared and provided for God's sheep, uh, for, God's, uh, for the sheep uh, in his care and provided for their every need. He also protected the flock from harm. And the Hebrew word Ra also conveyed um, or means ruler. So the shepherd also had authority over the sheep. He led the sheep uh, by his example. So for many years, David cared and provided for the sheep of his father, Jesse's flock. He led them to green pastures and he protected them from ravenous wolves and harmful elements. Even as God's anointed king, uh, now looking at David's life, we see that for, for many years, even though he was God's anointed king, he didn't fulfill that role. He'll, he didn't come into that role yet. So he, during that time, that interim, he was faithful as being uh, God's shepherd 
or, or rather the shepherd of his father's flock uh, for, for that period of time. But in time, David would take the full responsibility of kingship. Following the death of King Saul, the elders of Israel said to David, And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel, making him king in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. So David would shepherd, that is, care, provide, protect, and rule over the people of Israel for the next 40 years. And the nation would experience an unprecedented time of growth and prosperity. Now, in one of the uh, famous or popular Psalms that David authored, Psalm 23, David reflects on his own role as, uh, as being the shepherd over his father's flock. And he draws a parallel between how he provided uh, care and, and protection for the sheep under his care to the Lord's care, provision, and protection of David as being God's sheep. So that is how David prefigured Christ in his role as a shepherd. Now let's examine how Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of what David was a type. Before we get there, there are certain Old Testament passages, there are several of them, but I chose two, that specifically prophesy about David's descendant who will shepherd God's people. The first passage is found in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23. If you turn with me there, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. The second is Micah chapter 5 verse 4. Excuse me. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Now these two prophets, both uh, Ezekiel and Micah, they had prophesied several hundred years after the death of David. So they could not possibly be referring to David, although uh, Ezekiel mentions uh, uh, Shepherd David in his prophecy, but rather they are uh, referring uh, in this, uh, in, uh, the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to one who will come from the lineage of David, his descendant who will shepherd uh, God's people, who would be the great shepherd of God's people. Now, now, Jesus Christ, though he was God's anointed shepherd since his birth, uh, he served in relative obscurity, just like David. For the first 30 of years of his life, there, we don't have a record of what God, uh, Jesus had done during the first 30 of years of his life, yet he faithfully served as God's anointed one. And we see, uh, we read in the gospel account of Luke that Christ was submissive to his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, and that he grew in favor with God and man uh, since his birth. Jesus also referred to himself as the good shepherd. He says in John 10.10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He left his throne for this very purpose to lay down his life for his sheep. 
Jesus also speaks of the special relationship that he has with his own. He says in John 10, uh, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The New Testament authors as well, in their epistles, refer to Christ as being the shepherd of his people. Uh, the author of Hebrews calls our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. Peter, in his epistle, says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. James Montgomery Boyce, in his expositional commentary on Psalms, says this, quote, The Lord Jesus Christ is described as his people's shepherd in three ways. In John 10, 11, and 14, he is the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. In Hebrews 13, 20, he is the great shepherd who has risen from the dead and lives now to direct his people in every good work. In 1 Peter 5, 4, he is the chief shepherd who has ascended into heaven from whence he will one day return to reward the under-shepherds of the church who have been faithful to him, end quote. So Christ Jesus fulfilled the role of the good shepherd to the greatest extent by laying down his very life for his sheep. It is by his death that we, his sheep, have newness of life for all eternity. He has not only given us his sheep life, but continually cares, provides, and protects, protects us till he brings us to our place of eternal rest. So now let's turn our attention to how David prefigured Christ in his role as a prophet. Now, uh, his role as a shepherd and even as a king, uh, we'll examine later, is readily apparent to us, but this is a lesser uh, known role that David fulfills, that is the role of a prophet. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David penned some of the most significant prophetic psalms that spoke of Christ, his descendant. We already looked at Psalm 23, pointing to Christ as the Good Shepherd. In Psalm 22, David foretells Christ's suffering on the cross. The words of Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are the very last words of Jesus before he died on the cross. And in Psalm 16, David prophesies of Christ's resurrection from the dead, where he says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see decay, see corruption. And in Psalm 24, uh, David prophesies the triumphant reign of Christ, whom he calls the king of glory over his people. Returning to what, what James Boyce said, he continues on. He says, it has been pointed out that Psalms 22, 23, and 24 show a progression similar to those New Testament passages we had referred earlier. Psalm 22 is the song of the dying shepherd crying out to the father from the cross. Psalm 23 is the song of the risen shepherd guiding his sheep through life's dark wilderness. And Psalm 24 is the song, song of the ascended shepherd who will reward those who have served faithfully. 
The prophetic office also involved instruction of the people in the law of God. They spoke to, to the people on behalf of God. Michael Williams in his book, The Prophet and the Message, says, true biblical prophets therefore are not inventors of truth or purveyors of novelty, but guardians and promoters of unchanging biblical truth. So David was truly a prophet. A quick survey of his Psalms, or 150 of them, he wrote most of them, attests to his prophetic role. Uh, let's just look at three of them. God is a righteous judge, Psalm 10:11. The Lord is king forever and ever, Psalm 10:16. The Lord tests the righteous, Psalm 11:5. So what is David telling us? What is David doing here? David is telling us about the character of God, who he is, and how we, his covenant people, are to worship him, how to relate to him, and how we are to live our lives in a way that honors and pleases him. So that, so that is how David was a type of Christ in his role as a prophet. Now let's see how Christ is the full, fuller, greater fulfillment or greater reality of that prophetic role. The Lord God told Moses that he will raise a prophet from among Israel, and it is to him that we ought to listen. This prophecy was clearly fulfilled in the life of Christ. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah both appeared with Jesus, God the Father again said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Christ Jesus referred to himself as a prophet when he said, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. He said that when people in his hometown were offended by his teachings. So we, you see, Jesus, the lawgiver, perfectly kept, he, he not only taught the law of God during his earthly ministry, but he also kept the law of God on our behalf. The Gospels account for his teachings during his public ministry, starting with his saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now we, we know that the four Gospels, they record for us the public ministry of our Lord Jesus. They account for the last three years of Jesus' life. So, going back to what I had said earlier in the lesson, what was Jesus doing during the first 30 years of his life, which we don't have a record of, an accounting of? He was fulfilling the law. Jesus was actively obeying the law of God, every jot and tittle of God's commands. He was securing for us, for you and me, that perfect righteousness which, would, which God would impute to our account for our salvation. If it wasn't for that, there would be no salvation. One temper tantrum, one wicked thought, one act of obedience, be it as a two-year-old, a teenager, a young adult, would have disqualified God, would disqualify Christ Jesus from being the Lamb of God. So Moses, Elijah, David, and all the prophets that preceded Christ Jesus taught the law of God. But Christ alone kept the law perfectly 
and secured the salvation of his sheep. Christ the lawgiver is also the perfect law keeper. Now let's examine the last role in which David uh, prefigured Christ and that is his role as a king. Now David was anointed king over Israel by Samuel. We saw that in uh, the first Samuel chapter 15. Now during the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil for service. David was not only anointed by Samuel, he was anointed again uh, several years later uh, at the demise of Saul when he took over as king in Hebron over the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And then he would be anointed a third time as king over all 12 tribes of Israel. Now, David prefigured Christ in his role as king in several ways. The first way in which he prefigured Christ was that he recognized that his kingship and authority came from the Lord. He realized in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12, that it was the Lord who established him as king over Israel. The second way is that David was zealous for the house of God. He desired to build a temple for, for the Lord. He says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And it wasn't in God's plan for David to build him that temple that David desired, for David was a man of war. Uh, yet David made all the preparations, bought all the material, uh, had everything in place uh, for his son, Solomon, who would ultimately build this temple uh, for the Lord. Also, David prefigured Christ in the way that he ruled over the children of Israel. He was their king for, thir- for 40 years, and we're told in 2 Samuel 8:15 that he ruled the nation well, administering justice and equity to all people. In the Messianic uh, Psalm 110, which David penned, he reflects on, his, on God's hand upon his kingly role. David realized and understood that it was the Lord who empowered him to subdue his enemies. We see that in, in Psalm 110. Also, if you, when you have time, read 2 Samuel chapter 8. It'll give you a... Uh, an account, a breakdown of all the enemies, all the different nations that uh, David uh, brought under his rule or subjugated uh, who were uh, lifelong enemies for generations of the nation of Israel. So that is how he had uh, prefigured Christ in his role as king. Now let's look at how Christ is the greater fulfillment uh, as king. The title Christ means anointed. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Christ was the anointed, was the prop, rather Christ was prophesied to be the anointed one who will establish and reign on the throne of David forever. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7.
Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with David. And even when the wise men, they, they, uh, they came out to seek Jesus at his birth, had this to say. They asked Herod, King Herod, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? During his earthly ministry, like David who prefigured Christ, Jesus did not act on his own, own authority, but rather in his humanity, he submitted to the will of his Father in heaven. He says in John 12, verse 49, yeah, you can turn with me too, it's, it's a good passage for us to look at, of Christ's submission to uh, the will of his Father and how he realized and understood that his authority did not come from, in, from himself as a human, but rather from his Father in heaven. John 12, uh, let's see, John 12, 49. Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a command, what to say and what to speak, and I know that this command is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Another way in which Jesus was the, the fulfillment, the greater reality of King, was that Jesus was also zealous for the house of God. And we see his zeal when he drove out the temple merchants and the money changers from the temple. We're told zeal for God's house had consumed him. And Jesus subjugated as king, the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus subjugated the far greater enemies of sin, Satan, and spiritual death by his death on the cross resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven in Matthew chapter 12 I know we got a lot of passages but uh, let's look let's look at this one this this will be a uh, a good one for us to to see how Christ conquered our enemies Matthew chapter 12 we won't look at the whole chapter but uh, starting in verse, verse 22. So this, the context of, of this passage, uh, Christ heals the blindness and muteness of a demon-possessed man. And the people who witness this miracle exclaim in amazement, can this be the son of David? And the Pharisees, on the other hand, they accuse Christ of casting out the demon by the power of Satan. And this is how our Lord responds. He says, starting in verses, verse 28, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he may plunder his house. So Christ is that someone and Satan is the strong man. Christ entered the domain of Satan and bound him. The seed of the woman, that is Christ, crushed the head of the serpent, Satan. Christ accomplished this on the cross by his death and resurrection. By doing so, Christ has taken the plunder, the spoils of war, from the kingdom of darkness into the heavenly kingdom. You and I are that plunder, the spoils of war. We are the trophies of Christ's conquest of the greatest, hum greatest enemy of humanity, Satan. So as we anticipate the celebration of Christ's first advent, we rejoice over Christ's subjugation of Satan on the cross. However, in one sense, yes, Christ has subdued and has conquered Satan. But in another sense, Christ, uh, rather Satan, remains the god of this world. He is still the prince of the power of the air and the great deceiver. But he knows that his, that his Satan knows that his time is running out. For Christ, having inaugurated his kingdom, is building his church the world over. So we Christ's people anticipate Christ's return as the conquering king. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire to be punished and tormented for all of eternity. You can read that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. That this will be the second advent. At this much anticipated second advent, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more, neither mourning nor pain, or the, for the former things have passed away. So for the remaining time, so we see that that is how David had prefigured Christ in his role as a shepherd, prophet, and king, and how Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the greater fulfillment, the reality, the full reality of our shepherd, prophet, and king. So at this time, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like for us to examine three application questions. And I'll also open the floor for, for comments or, or questions that you may have, anything you would like to ha uh, add to what we have studied. So the first question I um, put before you, and it's on your uh, study outline. In what other ways did David prefigure Christ Jesus? Not a rhetorical question. Yes, Ed. Oh, he's coming. Thank you very much. I'm just thinking in terms of um, the narrative of uh, David and Goliath that <clears throat> the armies were shrinking when they saw Goliath and his size, but David comes and says, I come in the name of the Lord. Uh, the faithfulness he had that God would deliver despite the appearance circumstances. And you see that again and again in David. So. That, that is a reminder to me that he understood that God's power by acting in faithfulness that God would overcome this insurmountable giant. So, Thanks, Ed. 
I guess you could say that as David was the lowly shepherd and the least of the sons, he prefigures Christ in his humiliation. Is that true? True, very true. Thought of one other way in which uh, he, um, David prefigured Christ was his suffering. He was a suffering servant as well and how he suffered at the hands of Saul uh, being persecuted and uh, uh, fleeing Saul for many years and also at the hand of his own family. His, his own children persecuted him. Absalom, we saw when uh, we studied that when uh, uh, drawing a blank, Joe uh, taught us two weeks ago that psalm that that David penned as he fled his own son Solomon, uh, his own son Absalom, rather. Let me, uh, let's go on to the next question. Now, David wasn't the only king who prefigured Christ. There are other kings that I thought of that, um, that had prefigured Christ. Um, you think of any, and in what ways had they prefigured Christ? Sorry, uh, Melchizedek. Uh, yes, he is. Yeah, he is a type uh, of Christ. Uh, uh, that is something that uh, it's a far greater <laughs> subject than we could comment on at this time. But he, yes, he is mentioned in, in, in Genesis. Hebrew, yes, and Hebrews uh, as the standard. Yes, so, that's it. Yes, that, that, is, that is something, someone I did not think of, but he is. He is a type of Christ. Uh, Barbara? You have Josiah? Yes. Who preserved the word and brought it for the people uh, to have the word of God again, which had been hidden away. And although he wasn't a king, you have Joseph, who is... Uh, picture of Christ for sure and certain and the preservation gone before him of his people and persecuted through no fault of his own. Yes. So he wasn't a king, but he is a picture of Christ. Yes. So. Certainly. Those two are, are good examples. Uh, Josiah, again, how he cleansed the temple of the idolatry and how he brought, up, brought about reformation for the, for the people of Israel. And one other king that uh, similarly did that was uh, King Hezekiah. He cleansed the temple of idolatry and he brought about reformation, brought the word of God and, and uh, the true teaching back uh, to the people of Israel. Um, the last question that I have is how do, how do the realities of Christ being our shepherd, prophet and king help you in what seems to be the mundane roles and routines of your life? Dave. I think that we uh, should look at it both in positive and negative aspects. 
Yeah, um, one of the things I was thinking about in the previous question was that uh, all the kings of Israel prefigure Christ in, in you know, positive and negative ways, right? So uh, Ahab being as terrible as he was is a, pre a prefigurement of, of Christ and as good as he is. Um, and uh, so in those same ways, we are to, um, you know, re reflect in and submit to the uh, rulers who have been set over us. Um, and uh, the, both in those positive and negative ways, uh, if that, I think that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. One of the um, things that I thought of is um, times I feel that I'm really not making a difference in the roles that I'm serving, be it as a father or a husband or the job that I'm doing. It seems pretty mundane and uh, un unimpactful. Uh, but uh, when we look at the life of David and more so the life of Christ, how he was faithful uh, to, the, to all those 30 years. The thir three years of his public ministry we have recorded for us, but those 30 years, Christ was faithful in living that perfect life for you and me. And what seemed to be, you know, mundane, I guess, he, he worked, likely he worked uh, in his father's shop as a carpenter. And he was submitted to uh, uh, his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. And we can look to Christ when we feel the weight of the mundaneness of our life and the routines of our life and find encouragement there. Just the, um, I know it's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes and yet God does allow us to use logic and understanding just the whole concept that the whole Bible is tied together, that there is so much shadowing going on from different authors and it's just, it's just becomes very obvious when you study the shadows of um, God's overarching uh, narrative of redemption. It's, I find it very assuring. It gives a lot of assurance. Certainly. I think as Christians, we often struggle with suffering. And I think as we see with David and especially Christ, that God is strong when we are weak. And in our weakness, we suffer. And that's when God is exalted. I mean, it's, mm. I mean, we, you know, especially as Calvinists, understand God's sovereignty, but we often still ask the question, why me, why this? And I think seeing Christ and, and even David suffering helps us to um, grasp God's ways better. Good point. Christ himself said, it is through much trial and tribulation you must enter the kingdom. Take up the cross and follow me. So it, if Christ suffered, you know, it shouldn't surprise us that, that we suffer. And it is through suffering that, that our Lord is glorified and we are refined. Pastor Tim. 
I think in answer to your last question, uh, you have to consider Christ's high priestly role at the right hand of God, that he is still functioning as a prophet, a priest, and a king. And so in all of our uh, goings on of our daily lives, he is still uh, ultimately carrying on that ministry through the Holy Spirit in us. And I think that understanding that he is watching you, he's with you, um, he fulfilled the law of God on your behalf, um, he is shepherding you, uh, all of those things are, again, great comfort and gives, gives us hope. Indeed. We're, we've got a couple of minutes left, and I'll just end with this. I um, didn't have the time to get that down in my notes, but R.C. Sproul in his commentary on the uh, book of Matthew, and I'll paraphrase it, you know, I wish I had written it down. Uh, but he, he says, you know, why do we gather together as believers to worship God on Sundays? There are so many things vying for our time, for our attention, and uh, uh, for our focus. But we, as the people of God, get into our cars, drive to church, and spend the greater half of Sunday mornings or even Sunday evenings in worship. Uh, and it is because Christ has fulfilled those roles of being our shepherd, being our king, of being our prophet. He's not only a king with all that power to consume us without batting an eye, but he is a shepherd. He has tender care, and he cares for us, and he nurtures us, and he did that for you and me. He laid down his life to do that for you and me. So let's uh, end in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for granting us this time to study your word as your people. Lord, as we move into our time of corporate worship, I pray that our hearts would be drawn even closer. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. Pray that you would be with Pastor Tim. Use him as an instrument in your hands to boldly proclaim the truths that you have taught him by your spirit. And as we worship you, that you would be glorified and that we would be edified and equipped to serve you in the coming days. In Christ's holy name I pray, amen.